Very good. Anyway, today we continue in John chapter 15, which is just the most outstanding, beautiful passage of Scripture, full of gold, isn't it? It is amazing. And uh, we get to... um, we get to kind of pull it apart and read it and, and look what's in it and let it encourage us. And it's, it's absolutely wonderful. You've got to remember that the context of it is Jesus is actually heading toward the cross in a roundabout way. These are, these are some of the last words that Jesus says to his disciples before he goes away. And so the message in John 15 is really, really important. They're not just words, they're the words of Jesus. They're not just words written on a page, but they're important words. They're words that he wanted them to remember, words that he wanted them to live by, words that he took in. If I'm going away, the last thing I say to my family, I hope, are words of importance. Sometimes they're really shallow, but sometimes they're words of importance. I say to my sons when I'm leaving, look after your mother. They are, they're important words. I mean it. It's not just a, a, a standard farewell. It's like, look after your mother or else, really, is what it is. And, um, and you know, they, they carry a little bit of weight when, when you say them, when you're going. And the John 15 is like this. It's Jesus' instructions to the disciples. Now, I was quite inspired in China a couple of weeks ago that whenever you turn to the Scripture, they all read it together out loud. So you go, John 15, and before you can even find it, everyone in the room is reading it. And I thought we'd do that this morning together. Now, it's much easier over there because their Bibles are all in Chinese. Here, they're in all sorts of language, aren't they? I mean, predominantly English, but the translations, you know, they put different words in different places, and we're going to do it on the screen together so that we're all of one accord because blessing of the Lord is where there is unity. Can everyone see that? Yes, good. If you can't, speak savers. Here we go. Now, you need to read it for yourself because I've got a bad habit of missing out words, okay? So, here we go. And also, the Chinese... (laughs) The Chinese are really, really good at getting a flow going. So, we've got to try and do that. I know we're amateurs, but we'll be okay. This time, for real, on three. Three. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I am giving you. You guys are doing great. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. 
I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Well done, very good. That's excellent. So last time we looked at abiding or remaining. What the scripture was talking about when it says abide in me or remain in me, we discovered that remaining, abiding is actually a constant condition. It doesn't change. We're asked to remain in him. Today, however, we're going backwards. That was verse four. Today, we're going to verse three. Verse three says this. You have already been, past tense, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Do you remember Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he was explaining the unknown or the unnamed gods to the leaders in Athens? Some of you do. If you don't, go to Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 22. I'll read this one. It says, So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he testifies every, sorry, satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand that they should rise and when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and we move and we exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we should think of God, we should, sorry, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold, silver, or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. 
For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he approved to everyone, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. I think this passage of Scripture is incredibly, or this account, is incredibly clever. What Paul did there was, was genius, really. It's like whenever, wherever, but it's different. It's whenever, wherever, take notice or look for God in the seemingly normal things. Look for God in the ordinary things. Look for God in the commonplaces and then reveal God through the seemingly normal, the ordinary, and the common. See, Paul was speaking their language. It's masterful. He didn't come in and hit up against them. He came in, and he came in on their terms, basically. He came in and he said, guys, this, this God that you are worshiping here, this God that you don't know the name of, I know his name. This God that you don't know about, this idol that represents a God that you don't know about, actually, I know him. I can share him with you. In a sense, John's gospel, chapter 15, verse 3, is doing exactly the same thing. They're Jesus' words, so this is Jesus doing the same thing. But for us to really grasp what he's doing here, John 15, 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. To really understand what Jesus is doing there, first we need to go to John chapter 1 and verse 1. If you've got it in your Bibles, on your devices, why don't you go there? It is an incredible piece of Scripture. John 1, verse 1, through to 5. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. It's an incredible passage there. The Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you go to verse 14, it says, So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jump right across to John 15 again. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. How do they tie together? John 1.1 talks about the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word there, the original Word there, is the Word Logos. Logos. In John 15.3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message. The Word there is the Word Logos. The English words are really good. The word message or the word word are great translations, 
of the Greek word. But what makes it really special is when you understand the backstory or the context of the day for the word logos. And so we'll have a quick look at that because essentially Jesus is doing the same sort of thing that Paul did, but he's doing it here in the book of John, but we miss it completely unless we have some kind of understanding of the word logos. The word logos simply does mean word, and the word was Jesus. It means that, but there's more under it that can unpack some stuff for us. So if you understand the Hellenistic worldview at the time or their understanding of the word logos, particularly in the context of a theological word, it was a popular, familiar word. It was a popular, it wasn't a new concept for them to hear the word logos being used. It was something they're very familiar with, their ears very familiar with it. And it was often used in a theological context. But when it was used in a theological context, it carried far greater meaning than simply word or message. In a theological context, uh, it meant this. Logos meant cosmic mediator between God and the world who is the personification of God's truth and wisdom. I can see you looking at me like, wow, this is incredible. Stun mullets, all of you. I'll read it again because I just felt that kind of, you missed it. Here we go. It means cosmic mediator between God and the world who is the personification of God's truth and wisdom. Now, we need to understand that the theological understanding was influenced by many, including Plato and Pythagoras, and um, Philo was, Philo was, was um, very influential at the time. And in the Hellenistic worldview, what was going on was if it was spirit, it was good, And if it was material, it was evil. You okay? You got that? So if it was spirit, it was good. If it was material, it was evil. God is spirit. God is good. The planet we live on and everything in it is material, evil. So there's this infinite gap between God and people, God and the earth, God and his creation that they refer to And the word logos speaks of a cosmic mediator between those two camps. But they don't know who it is. They don't know what it is. They just know there's some sort of cosmic mediator. So in essence, what John's doing or Paul's doing is very similar to what, um, sorry, John or Jesus is doing is very similar to what Paul does. He takes something that is known very, very well, logos, cosmic mediator between God and the world, who is a personification of God's truth and wisdom, and he reveals that actually this Logos is Jesus. Suddenly he joins all the dots for them. This thing that you don't know what it is that you talk about, his name is Jesus. This is who you're talking about. His name is Jesus. It's it might feel small to us right now, but it would have been massive then. It's like this unanswered question, this mystery of the universe, this God is good, everything else is evil. How there's this infinite gap that cannot be joined but by some cosmic uh, mediator. And Jesus goes, I know who it is. He's speaking of himself, of course. 
That's me. Remember in verse 1, he said, I am. I am. He's speaking of himself. So if you understand the Hellenistic worldview that they were living in, the the view at the time, um, guidance was simply by reason, and God was incredibly impersonal. There was no relationship with God. He, He was an impersonal God that had kind of got things started and just let it be. Good luck. Because the spirit was good and the physical was bad. Therefore, that infinite gap existed between the world and the creator. And the whole of life and creation and everything was motivated by logical necessity. Yet John's view in the gospel, which is Jesus speaking, of course, says guidance is the Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit. He says that God is personal. He says that Jesus is the physical manifestation of God. Therefore, Logos equals Jesus. And he's in the world, which is a crazy thought at the time, but he's in the world to save the world. And the whole deal is motivated by love. It's so different. It's like chalk and cheese. You know, it's so different, this view from that view. And Jesus is spelling it out to them. One of the commentators, one commentator writes this, he says, The Logos of John is the real, personal God, the Word, who was originally before the creation with God and was God, one in essence and nature, yet personally distinct, the revealer and interpreter of the hidden being of God, the reflection and visible image of God and the organ of all his manifestations to the world. He made all things, proceeding personally from God for the accomplishment of the act of creation and became man in the person of Jesus Christ, accomplishing the redemption of the world. There's a simple little word that's inserted in verse 3, logos, that carries a wealth of meaning. My prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit can just drop something of a seed of revelation into each of us that explodes the meaning of that word, that explodes something of the revelation of Christ, who he is. Whenever, wherever. How about we look for God in the seemingly normal and ordinary things? Sometimes the most profound things can be revealed through common things. It's what Jesus was doing here. It's what Paul did. And I love the way both Paul and John, or Jesus, John wrote it, Jesus said it, build a sense of belonging with their audience by connecting with them at a level that they understood, at a level of reality in their world. It wasn't abstract in the sense of try and jump way out here. It was something that they had an understanding of, even if they didn't understand it. It was something that was in front of them. It was something that they would have heard, something familiar, something in everyday life that Paul and Jesus took and said, look, this is causing you confusion. The answer to this is Jesus. The answer to this question is Logos. What does Logos mean? Logos means Jesus. Logos is Jesus. So, John 15, 3, you have already been pruned and purified 
by the message I have given you. In other words, you've already been changed, you've already been cleansed, you've already been nurtured, you've already been prepared by implication. You've already been connected by the word that I've given you. And that word is logos, which is a revelation of the incarnation of Christ. That is massive. Again, I can see it slightly gimming across your heads. But it's massive. In other words, there is no greater revelation than Jesus. It is the revelation of Jesus that changes everything. He says, you've been changed by this revelation. You've been cleansed by this revelation, past tense, of course. You've been nurtured by this revelation. You've been prepared. You've been connected by this revelation. The revelation's name is Jesus. In other words, the song. Jesus is the center. He's the center of it all. He's the center of everything. We go to Jesus and we go, oh, Jesus, you are the center of it all. This is amazing. It's crazy. And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, hang on. No, it's not really me. It's the Father. We go, okay, go to the Father. Oh, Father, you're the center of it. It's amazing. No, no, no. He says, hang on, hang on. It's actually about what the Holy Spirit. You see what he's doing at the moment? Go to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're amazing. No, 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 don't give it to me. Go to Jesus. And then just this whole beautiful relationship of the Trinity works out because they're all God, three persons, one God, preferring one another all the way. Logos, the incarnation of Christ, is absolutely amazing. So what brings the change? What brings hope? What brings purity? What brings love? Only one thing. Logos. You can look wherever you like. But only one thing brings those things. Logos. His name is Jesus. His name, Jesus. What I love, one of the things I love about this is you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you, by the Logos. Then verse 4, now remain in me. It's the very next sentence, now remain in me. In other words, remain in the revelation of Logos. Remain in it. It won't, don't let it pass. Don't let it be a fleeting stage. Don't let it be small because a revelation of Logos is huge. It's actually infinite. Remain in that revelation of God, the message I've given you. Remain in me. That's so it's what he tells us to do, all the way then going through John. Remain in me. Abide in me. Remember that abiding, remaining is a continuous condition. It's not something we click in and we click out of. It's, it's a continuous condition that we journey in. Through good, through bad, through thick, through thin, we continue in our revelation, in our remaining. We continue in our revelation of Logos. We continue in our revelation. I pray that your revelation of Jesus is continuously expanding. Here's the deal. If it stops, you'll get religious. If you're not, if the revelation of who Jesus is stops expanding, you, the passion will die. The fire will die. Because he's alive. He's not about just making a position and leaving us there. It's relationship. If, if the revelation stops, we will end up in this camp of being religious. And we are not part of a religious system. We're not called to be part of a religious system. We are called to be part of a relationship. A relationship with God. 
That is forever changing. That is alive. That is dynamic. But so it's so easy to find ourselves over here in the religious system. What's the religious system looks like? The religious system looks like I have to. I have to do this. I have to do that. They're making me do this. They said I need to do that. Oh, the rule book says that's what a religious system looks like. What's a relationship look like? A relationship is dynamic. A relationship is all about I want to. I want to be pastor raised friend. I don't have to be pastor raised friend. Oh, thank you, Ray. I appreciate that. <laughs> but we don't have to be friends. A relationship's about the want to be friends. I want to look out, make sure the best for him. I know he wants the same for me. But I could be in this camp and go, well, you know, raise a staff member, I suppose. Probably should speak well of him. Because I have to. I won't make any jokes. Because I'm not allowed to. You know how it works. But it's so easy for us to slip over here. If you're over here, move. This is death over here. John 10.10. 10. This is where the devil likes us to live. Kill, steal, and destroy. He'll kill your faith. He'll steal your joy. He'll steal your hope. He'll destroy relationship. And you find yourself in this religious I must camp. This place is horrible. But do you know how difficult it is to move from here? to a place of relationship and revelation? Do I really have to answer that? <laughs> it's easy, isn't it? It's one decision. It's piece of cake. It's like, God, this is all about man-made stuff. This is all about rules, the life, the hope, everything else is gone from this. Save me from this and rekindle the revelation. That's why I'm saying, Holy Spirit, please drop revelation in every person in this building's heart and mind this morning because that moves us from here to here. And this is where we're called to live. Live here, we'll change the world. Live here, we'll ooze all that stuff out of our lives, that, that kingdom values, that love, that hope, that obedience, um, the grace of God, the mercy. It'll just flow from us. But I tell you what, you stay here, old grumpy guts. You'll be doing well to smile on a good day if you stay here because this is miserable. You can't win here. It doesn't matter what you do when you're here. It's not going to be good enough. It's not quite going to be, it's not going to measure up to the standards because it's about have to get a release in God and live in the want to. Everything will change. I love to think what would happen to our city if we all lived in the want to. You imagine what tomorrow morning might look like. Oh, watch out, world. You imagine your workplace if you're living in the want to instead of the have to. It would be amazing. So John 15, the words, another translation says, the words I've spoken over you have already cleansed you. It's a revelation of Christ as God that causes us to both belong and to be cleansed, and to be purified, or pruned, to experience his love, because it is about Jesus, it always has been. Romans 10.9 says to us, the music team would like to come, would be great. Romans chapter 9 and verse 10 says, If you confess 
with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is an invitation to live on this side in relationship. That's what it is. It's quite simple, isn't it? There's not a complicated prayer there. There's not a list of rules there. It just says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Experience tells me that when I live here, the rules don't matter so much because my passion, now these things that are obvious rights and wrongs, it's not, you know. But my passion will keep me pursuing God where I need to. My experiences when I live here, that I'm going to play as close to the boundaries as I possibly can. Because there's no relationship gripping me. There's no revelation gripping me and drawing me. So I'll play as close to the boundaries as I can. What's the bare minimum I can get away with and still call myself a Christian? How much, can I say that? Yeah, I'll say that. I can probably say that. I can probably say that word. I might get a little pang when I say it. I can probably say that, but it's okay. But I'm over here, I'm going to go, man, I'm just not even going to talk like that. I'm not even going to contemplate that because it's just not going to represent Jesus well. This is the place to live. The tension is we constantly try to get drawn back here. We have to go, come on. Need fresh revelation, Jesus. I need a fresh revelation of who you are. Everything hinges on the revelation of who Jesus is for us. Wherever, whenever, be like Jesus. To truly live like this, we need to live from a place of true belonging. And to truly experience belonging, we need to encounter the Logos, Jesus. It really is my prayer this morning that the Holy Spirit just pours out revelation for each one of us. That He pours out revelation about relationship with the Logos, about who Jesus is. My prayer is that when you leave this place this morning, Jesus is bigger to you than He was when you came in. That there's more life about Him. That the hope you find in him is greater. And then those things just leak out. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, the relationship will happen and that's a relationship for all eternity. He will forgive us of our wrongdoings. He will set us on a path that has a future and a hope and he'll lead us in that hope.